I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Hey there. Ever wonder what happens to all those amazing screenplays that never make it to the big screen? Wonder no more. Welcome to Table Read Podcast, where we bring those undiscovered gems to life. Picture this. Talented actors giving incredible performances with the occasional laugh or blooper thrown in, produced by award-winning pros. From drama to comedy, TV pilots to feature films, there's something for everyone. And guess what? We release new episodes every week, so don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Table Read Podcast, where great stories finally get their chance to shine. Hey everyone, welcome to Let's Get Civical. This is the podcast that breaks down politics, government structure, and dives into the context of current events, but in a super fun way. I'm Lizzie Stewart, comedian, feminist, and political junkie. And I'm Arden Walentowski, former Senate intern, campaign staffer, and political strategist. In this episode, we're talking about the atomic bomb. So grab your uranium. And let's get civical. You couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. I know it was a surprise. Mm-hmm. Surprise, surprise. Mm-hmm. We took a holiday. Mm-hmm. We we tried really hard. We did. To record. Yeah. But sometimes the holiday is forced upon you. It, it is. You have no choice. You must go to grandma's house. We must go to grandma's house. We surrendered. The wolf ate us. So we took last week off, but we're back. We're back. We're, we're back. back. And not only are we back, but one of us is a year older today oh can you guess who mm. can you guess who mm-hmm. can you t- can you guess by the sound of my voice <laughs> she's <laughs> become me. 87 in the course of 
I'm 87 years old. <laughs> Over the As break. As of yesterday. Yes. So when this comes out, I will have been a year older for two days. Mm-hmm. So I will have, I think, gotten a hang of this new age by that point. Are you um, 28 now? I'm 28 <gasps> as of now. Oh, my God. Isn't that insane? Isn't that insane? I'm in my late 20s, you could argue. You, one could say you are in your late Somebody 20s. could argue. How was 27? Did you enjoy 27? Oh, I mean, such a hard. It was my COVID year. Yeah. You know? Yeah. An entire year devoted to COVID. Yeah, your, it's definitely your COVID year. I mean, my birthday is coming up as well. And I it, it was also, yep. you know. A COVID year. A COVID year. But also like a really great year. I had a fucking great year. So I hope For sure. I hope you had a great twenty seven. Uh you know what? It was not as bad as twenty six was, and I think that's all we can hope for. That's all you can hope for. That's it. That's all we I think I'm on I'm on an upswing. Yes. You know, and and I'm excited to see what twenty eight has to offer. Yeah, girl. And yeah, it's my birthday. My parents are in town. They're staying with me. Ooh, ooh, ooh. So I'm recording in my bedroom, so to our sweet, sweet listeners, you're going to hear the sound of the train go by, and you just have to love it. You have to love it, because I live right above the train, and I have nowhere else to go, Mm -hmm. so just love me like I love you, and give this to me as my birthday There you go. Forgiveness for your birthday present. Forgiveness is what I'm asking for my birthday, not unlike Jesus, okay? (laughs) No, not Jesus. I am recording in an Airbnb under a blanket once again. Um, She's under a blanket again. A you different guys. Airbnb, a different blanket. But I think the last one was gray too. The last one was your oh, last blanket. The last one was like a blue, um, like picnic blanket. This one is a gray, like quilty thing, which we love. Yes. And last time it was in Arkansas. Now we are currently in North Carolina, so we're you know we've made You're just some moves. The whole South. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna cover the South under a blanket. When are you finally? Are you back by our next episode? Yes. Wow. I know. A changed woman. I know. What, like 30 days on the road? Something like that, yeah. It's crazy. I know, insane. So fun. But yes, insane. But insane. But insane. Speaking of insane, I think that's a great segue to today's topic. Yeah. Which I'm super interested in because I think we all know about it, but we've never really gotten into the nitty gritty of it, mm-hmm. probably for very good reasons, but we can't hide anymore. We're going to get into it in this episode, and we're talking about the Manhattan Project and the atomic bomb. I mean, first thoughts on both of these things, Arden? I mean, first thoughts, I guess, like, I mean, the story of how it came about is, like, kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's very interesting. Um, And I love this whole time period. So, like, that, like, researching it was super fun. But just, like, the, like, we didn't really know what we were doing. I mean, I I think in theory people understood, like, we're going to drop a bomb. People understood bombs, but people, I don't think, really... I don't know. Like, I'm sure they thought it through. You would like to think that they thought it through. But the fact that we just dropped these two huge bombs and decimated parts of a country. Yeah. Is absolutely insane. Yeah. It's it really is profound. And especially it's like because we can like in we're we're taught 
in our in when we learn about World War II that you know this happened at the tail end obviously of World War II and it yeah. and it was in context I think what how I was taught that the the bombs were in context of like fighting World War II and fighting Hitler and like you know doing this crazy thing to to take down this crazy being right when in fact it, you know I think by the time they were dropped, we had already taken back Europe. Uh, and so the war was just happening in the Pacific. Or am I wrong? You're correct in that they were. it was developed because Germany, they thought Germany was going to develop them first. And so they, the plan was to, I mean, maybe not use them against Germany, but like in response to Germany developing the technology and then we yeah. use them against Japan. Like it was yeah. not the intended purpose. Not the intended purpose. And look, I'm not necessarily like anti-development for the sake of like flexing, you know, Mm -hmm. like I think that's, I mean, now that's the only reason that we develop them is to essentially show force. Right. But I'm not pro-dropping them. So I'm going to (laughs) start off this episode by saying I am not pro at all nuclear weapons it like uh using them using them yeah so if you if you feel a certain way about that then i'm just gonna let you know right now that that's where i'm gonna come back to right i mean there's just no way around the the death and destruction i mean it's like yeah yeah of innocent life yeah yeah you're gonna hit civilians like thousands of them thousands if, of them yeah if you don't like you have a bad bomb you know like that's the <clears throat> whole that's the whole thing <laughs> that's the whole thing but before we jump in arden do you want to go over today's sources yes today we're our saoirse ronan sources are coming from the american museum of natural history oh love i know i, know. I was really excited about love that history.com of course and the department of energy Sure. Let's talk to them. Let's yeah. talk to our department. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's start off with the inventors and the Manhattan Project. Let's start off with this little sector of this story. So uh, most of these notes are coming from the American Museum of Natural History right here in the Big Apple. Mm-hmm. So in 1938, three chemists working in a laboratory in Berlin made a discovery that would alter the course of history. They split the uranium atom. Yeah, the the split that started it all. Yeah, the split around the world. Like Ashton and Demi. Exactly. Wow. Wow. Throw Mm -hmm. it. Throw it there. Mm -hmm. So yes, obviously splitting a atom is... Big, big, bada, bang, bada, boom. Uranium, bada, bang, bada, boom. Yeah. I love it. The energy released when this splitting or fission occurs is tremendous, enough to power a bomb. But before such a weapon could be built, numerous technical problems had to be overcome. I mean, yeah, you can't just like split this thing willy nilly or you'll blow yourself up, you know? Right, you got to split it the right way. Contain you the split, split it contain the right way. Contain the split. Keep it out of the tabloids. Continuing on. 
When Einstein learned that the German might succeed in solving these problems, he wrote to President Franklin Roosevelt with his concerns. Einstein's 1939 letter helped initiate the U.S. efforts to build an atomic bomb, but work proceeded slowly at first. I'm, in, I'm interested that Einstein was involved. Like, that's a surprise little out-of-field guy. I didn't realize that. And there's like his whole journey through this project has is like very interesting. Yeah. I didn't realize that. I mean, I knew that he was maybe I knew that he was a part of it, but I didn't realize that he was like the instigator. Writing the president for God's yeah. sakes. Well, and, but it makes sense because it wasn't like, you know, German, like it wasn't the German government who was developing this. It was right. these like physicists Scientists. like his counterparts in germany and it's a who were small it. circle of physicists it's in it the world. is as small as the theater industry in new york like oh my god a gossipy every- gossipy industry yes. yes fellow physicist leo ooh sislard we'll say that we'll say that urged einstein to send the letter and helped him draft it so this was the letter to fdr being like uh my dude <laughs> They're figuring it out. So you've got to do something. <laughs> They're building big weapons over They're building, here. You have no idea, my dude. I feel like we may need big weapons ourselves. Mm-hmm. Two other findings in 1940 and 1941 demonstrated conclusively that the bomb was feasible and made building a bomb a top priority for the United States. The determination of the, quote, critical mass of uranium needed and the confirmation that plutonium could undergo fission and be used as a bomb. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Now now we're bringing plutonium into this. Mm -hmm. At first, Roosevelt set up the Advisory Committee on Uranium because obviously the first thing you do with anything is you set up an advisory committee. Make a committee about it. So he set up a committee, uh, which was a... ended up being a team of scientists and military officials tasked with researching uranium's potential role as a weapon. Based on the committee's findings, the U.S. government started funding research by ooh, Enrico, Fermi, Enrico Fermi and Leo Sislard at Columbia University. Mm-hmm. Hello, yep. Columbia, your alma mater. My alma mater, mm-hmm. Which was focused on radioactive isotope separation, also known as uranium enrichment, and nuclear chain reactions. Man, I don't like talking about all these elements. Some of them are hard to say. <laughs> this is It's a landmine for me. It is literally a bomb yard for Lizzie. It's a bomb yard for me. In December of 1941, the government launched the Manhattan Project the scientific and military undertaking to develop the bomb. And you know what? You know, at least we got the name. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> there, all had, the only thing that had to do in Manhattan was that it was Columbia. I mean, there's, there's, it wasn't, right. <laughs> that's it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That same year, following the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, President Roosevelt declared that the U.S. would enter World War II and align with Great Britain France, and Russia to fight against the Germans in Europe and the Japanese in the Pacific Theater. The Army Corps of Engineers joined the OSRD in 1942 with President Roosevelt's approval, and the project officially morphed into a military initiative 
with scientists serving in a supporting role. Mm-hmm. So the military is now like, let me take a look at your bombs. Mm-hmm. And the scientists are like, okay. <laughs> okay, yes. I'm now best supporting actor. All right. <laughs> the military did to the atomic bomb developers what like the head scientist guy did to Jodie Foster in the movie Contact when she wow. first heard the like the sound from space that came and gave like when she first heard it and then the Uh main scientist guy who worked for the government came in and took it and there's a whole scene where he takes credit at the press conference and that's exactly what the military did to these scientists for the atomic bomb way to bring contact seamlessly into this episode anytime i can i will and and i love that for you thank you and i love that for us as as this uh, podcast Continuing on, on December 28, 1942, President Roosevelt authorized the formation of the Manhattan Project to combine these various research efforts with the goal of weaponizing nuclear energy. Facilities were set up in remote locations in New Mexico, Tennessee, and Washington, as well as sites in Canada for this research and related atomic tests to be performed. So, like, just think mushroom clouds, mushroom yeah. clouds, mushroom mm-hmm. clouds. Mm-hmm. They basically, like, we need a big stretch of land to just blow up and blow up and blow up. Yeah. Because we don't want to kill any of our people, but we need to oh my test God, no. these big bombs. So, like, we do have we to. Just... We do have to do a dress rehearsal. Yes. Los Alamos Laboratory, the creation of which was known as Project Y, Y is in yellow, was formally established on January 1st, 1943. The complex is where the first Manhattan Project bombs were built and tested. On July 16th, 1945, in a remote desert location near Alamo Gordo, New Mexico. Sorry for that pronunciation. I think it was perfect. It was close. I just had to, I just had to sound it out. The first atomic bomb was successfully detonated also known as the Trinity Test, creating an enormous mushroom cloud some 40,000 feet high and ushering in the atomic age. So it took several years to, like, get us to, it took, what, four years, four or five years to get us to a mushroom cloud? Yeah. I mean, it's both not a long time and and it's a long time. And it's a long time. Interesting. Scientists working under Oppenheimer had developed two distinctive types of bombs, a uranium-based design called (laughs) the Little Boy, boy. and a plutonium-based weapon called the Fat Man. (laughs) I mean, you couldn't have come up with, like, two, like, like similar things, you know, like Beavis and Butthead, you know what I mean? Like a dynamic duo name? Seriously, how hard was it? The Destroyer They're not even trying. The monster. I don't know. Like, little boy and fat man. (laughs) Yeah. With both designs at the works in Los Alamos, they became an important part of the U.S. strategy aimed at bringing an end to World War II. I mean, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, they are a deterrent. And when you detonate them, they are even more a deterrent. They are big and loud and scary. Yep, yep, yep. We're going to take a quick break for a little word from our sponsors. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, 
eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. That's the, the what? The foundation? And, and now we're going to get to the two houses that I'm sure everybody... Knows and recognizes. Yes. The bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki in Japan. Yeah. Lay it on me. Okay. Here we go. These are coming from history.com and the American Museum of Natural History. So on July 26, 1945, at the Potsdam Conference in the Allied occupied city of Potsdam, Germany, the U.S. delivered an ultimatum to Japan. Surrender under the terms outlined in the Potsdam Declaration, which included, among other things, um, a call for the Japanese to form a new democratic and peaceful government or face, quote, prompt and utter destruction, close quote. I mean, they were like, they weren't joking. (laughs) They weren't joking. They were like, get rid of your dictator, be a democracy, or we'll just end you. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think prompt and utter destruction is like a real, you know. Yeah. For being a little dramatic, but they did deliver. They did deliver. <laughs> I mean, they drew a line in the sand, and that was it. Yep. Um, as the Potsdam Declaration provided no role for the emperor in Japan's future, the ruler of the island nation was unwilling to accept its terms. Of course, he's not going to be like, yeah. okay, I will step down. Yeah. I will. No. He's like, mm, fuck you. Who are you to tell me what to do? Right. 
Meanwhile, the military leaders of the Manhattan Project had identified Hiroshima, Japan, as an ideal target for an atomic bomb, given its size and the fact that there were no known American prisoners of war in the area. I just, this is where, like, I'm just going to start struggling with U.S. dot. I know. Because, yeah, that's great size. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we don't want to kill prisoners of war. But just the fact that, like, there's no hesitation that it is so there's civilians there is insane yeah i mean there's no i i, I mean i'm sure I, I you would hope that they calculated that like this they're like oh maybe maybe it's not as many civilians as somewhere else but still right. like i mean you know the if you the, the attack on pearl harbor pearl harbor was a military base yeah you know, they, yeah. they attacked a military base. Yeah. They didn't attack a, a, just a city of people. No. Not to say that, like, Hiroshima and Nagasaki didn't have military, you know, things there, but yeah. dang, y'all. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, continuing on. With no surrender agreement in place, on August 6th, 1945, the Enola Gay bomber plane dropped the as-yet-untested little boy bomb some 1,900 feet above Hiroshima, causing unprecedented destruction and death over an area of five square miles. The little boy exploded with about 13 kilotons of force, leaving five square miles of the city decimated and killing 80,000 people instantly. Tens of thousands more would later die from radiation exposure. So yeah. It's like this is crazy. Like, crazy. 80,000 just gone in an instant, like just, just from impact. And then more out. people died like later because of high cancer and exposure. And also remember, these are civilians. And they're civilians. I mean, yes, probably not all of them, but yeah, a lot of them are going to be civilians. Like Of the 80,000. I mean, yeah, it's it's wild this is wild yeah three days later with still no surrender declared this is the one that i'm like okay we saw what it did and we still thought we would do this again mm -hmm. three days later with no surrender declared on august 9th the fat man bomb was dropped over nagasaki site of a torpedo building factory destroying more than three square miles of the city so this one at least they were like i mean this one they were targeting a something yeah like this i mean so like, maybe they were targeting some something in Hiroshima, but like Nagasaki was because it was there were a defense building or or a, a, and a I mean it's a torpedo they were going right. after something military based you know but like still it's brutal brutal I mean, to brutal, think, brutal brutal to think that like like if you're going after the torpedo plant I'm like go for it go after the torpedo plant like blow up military things yeah I totally understand but we've just dropped the little one mm -hmm. and killed 80,000 people instantly I think we're going to get more than just the torpedo plant with yeah. the fat man That's what I I mean I wonder like it would be really interesting to know like what the like how much they knew of the destruction like obviously it would be a huge mushroom cloud and it would be bad but i wonder if they because you can't count like okay eighty thousand dead you know mr president like i mean i wonder how much they well knew. i think it's also um i mean i think as far as like if how many people they killed i mean it's like just these are not unintelligent people i mean no. they built the bomb it's like when they were doing the tests they saw how what happened yeah. in a certain square miles yeah. um, worth of 
like what was you know the, yeah. the area that it that it detonated in so it's like look at a map mm-hmm. guesstimate mm-hmm. they they knew when they dropped both bombs that there would be significant loss of human life yeah because they're not stupid they no. know how big these things are they tested it and they thought let's do it let's do it again i don't let's understand do it not once but twice i don't yeah i don't understand dropping the atomic bomb on the like I mean, we do this all the time. We go after military plants and whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, just drop mm-hmm. a regular bomb. Why does just it a have regular to be one? Just a regular bomb. Why does right? It have to Which be is, but that's the thing. It's like it wasn't. Yes, they they targeted the torpedo plant, but they that wasn't their main target. They could have taken out the torpedo plant. Yeah, they wanted to. They wanted to decimate a city and a country and civilians. So crazy. Crazy. Not our best moment. No. So Nagasaki had not been the primary target for the second bomb. American bombers initially had targeted the city of Kokura, where Japan had one of its largest munitions largest munitions plants, but smoke from the firebombing raids occurred over the sky of Kokura. American planes then turned their turned toward their secondary target, Nagasaki. So they couldn't see the original city. They couldn't see mm-hmm. the targets. So they were like, all right, next. And they moved on. The fat man killed an estimated 40,000 people on impact. The two bombs combined killed more than 100,000 people and leveled two Japanese cities to the ground. By the end of 1945, an estimated 200,000 people had died in the two cities. I mean, it's just crazy. Mm -hmm. The Japanese informed Washington, which following Roosevelt's death was under new leadership under President Harry Truman, of their intention to surrender on August 10th and formally surrendered on August 14th, 1945. So they surrendered the day after Nagasaki. I mean, yeah, because at this point, I mean, Japan's not big. (laughs) Well, and they're not stupid. They're like, these Americans are insane. And they're going to keep coming for us if we don't. Right. They're literally like, I think it's this thing of like, we showed for better or for worse, I think for worse, that we have no regard for their their life. Yeah. Like in the royal day. Yeah. In the royal <laughs> All day. Of them. Yes. So Albert Einstein, upon hearing the news of the Hiroshima bombing, was said to have, is quoted to have said, Woe is me. Ironically or unironically? Uh, I think, un- oh, 100% unironically. There's like, so like at the just end. Full of regret. Yeah, so at the end, we're going to do, um, I'll talk about some interesting facts. And one of them specifically has to do with Einstein and like his feelings about the bombs and all of that. All right. Well, before we get to that, let's talk about the lasting implications, um, because I think it's important to talk about this stuff. So following the end of the war, the United States formed the Atomic Energy Commission to oversee research efforts designed to apply the technologies developed under the Manhattan Projects to other fields. Ultimately, in 1964, then-President Lyndon B. Johnson put an end to the U.S. government's effective monopoly over nuclear energy by allowing for private ownership over nuclear materials, which, like, what an interesting, what an interesting move. Right. Well, I think for energy, right, like, it's still the same kind of technology. And so, um, yeah, so they're, but also stupid, yes. Yeah, I'm just like, especially Lyndon B. Johnson, I'm like, I don't know. 
of all the presidents to be like, yeah, you can have some of this. Yeah, yeah. He wouldn't strike me as that one. No. The nuclear fission technology perfected by the Manhattan Project engineers has since become the basis for the development of nuclear reactors, for power generators, as well as other innovations, including medical imaging systems, for example, MRI machines, and radiation therapies for various forms of cancer. So again, my beef is never with the development of this energy. Mm -hmm. It is with the dropping of the bombs. Yes. Yeah. The United States was the only country with nuclear weaponry in the years immediately following World War II. The Soviets initially lacked the knowledge and raw materials to build nuclear warheads. Within just a few years, however, the USSR had obtained, through a network of spies engaging in international espionage, blueprints of a fission-style bomb and discovered regional sources of uranium in Eastern Europe. On August 29th, 1949, the Soviets tested their first nuclear bomb, which mm-hmm. obviously sent us into a tizzy. Oh, yes. Although, again, we had no problem dropping it on other people. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> wants to be destroyed, including the United yeah, I'm like, States. I'm literally, it's literally like, my dude, you brought this into the world. Right. You did this. This is your You set the precedent that like, problem. yeah, mm-hmm. you showed everybody what this could do. And now, and now you're mad that other people are doing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The United States responded by launching a program in 1950 to develop more advanced thermonuclear weapons. The Cold War arms race had begun and nuclear testing and research became high profile goals for several countries, especially the United States and the Soviet Union. Ducking cover, honey. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So these are some, I wouldn't call them like fun facts. They're just. No, there's nothing fun. There's nothing fun about this. These are interesting facts. Interesting facts. Interesting facts. Interesting facts. Perfect. Thank you. It's too, it doesn't quite fit the meter, but you get the idea. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so in July of 1940, the U.S. Army Intelligence Office denied Einstein the security clearance needed to work on the Manhattan Project. How are you going to deny Einstein? So, because he was a pinko commie liberal. The hundreds of <sighs> scientists on the project were forbidden from consulting with Einstein because the left-leaning political activist was deemed a potential security risk. They thought he was like, yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, so Einstein. Like, yeah. So, like, uh, so, yes, like, Einstein brought it to the attention of the president, but he wasn't advocating that, like, right, we should destroy people. He literally was just no, like, no, no, hey, God, hey, no. Japan, or sorry, Germany is. Germany, yeah. The German physicists are working on this. Just yeah. a heads up, it would be disastrous should that bomb or whatever they decide to do with the technology yeah. that they're realizing they can develop should come towards the United States. Like it would, that's really all he was doing. But what ended up happening was like the United States was like, oh shit. Oh, we can do this too. And we can kill people with it. Okay. Yeah. Let's commit war crimes. Let's do it. Game on. Einstein was frequently asked to explain his role in the Manhattan Project in the building of the bombs. And when a Japanese editor asked him, quote, why did you cooperate in the production of atomic bombs, knowing full well their destructive power? Einstein answered that his only act had been to write President Roosevelt, suggesting that the United States research atomic weapons before the Germans harnessed this deadly technology. 
He came to regret even taking this step, and in an interview with Newsweek magazine, he said that, quote, had I known that the Germans would not succeed in developing an atomic bomb, I would have done nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, Einstein is not, is not the culprit here. And, and anybody who tries to like put blood on Einstein's hand, it's like, no, no, I I get, I get what he was doing. And especially during a time where the Germans were at the height of their power, you know, free, he, he freaked and literally just let somebody know. And then we did our thing and just, and it's not like, it's not like the Germans developing a new way to kill people was like unheard of because hello the holocaust so like hello it wasn't you know like he wasn't without reason to be afraid of this but you know of course hindsight's always 2020 so that's also yeah so like he did so that's about einstein he did alert the president and he later came to regret it because you know it set in motion all of these events that then led to massive death and destruction however the national on a slightly lighter note The National Park Service operates three sites to preserve Manhattan Project history. For over a decade, the U.S. Department of Energy and the National Park Service, in cooperation with other federal agencies, state and local governments, and other stakeholders, pursued the possibility of including the Department of Energy's most significant Manhattan Project properties within a Manhattan Project National Park. I just feel like we should not be putting this into a national park. I mean, I feel like... It's not a national park in the sense that, like, let's go have a picnic here. I feel like no, it's no, a no, national know, park yeah. in the sense of, like, if you like, the, like the concentration camps are still in Germany. Like, sure, it's but a, I, it's but a, I just have my problem with the atomic bombs is like I was saying at the top of this, which is like they are put into this context of like we did this, we were amazing and ended the war by doing this, and it, I feel like we're not holding ourselves accountable in the way that like Germany is holding themselves accountable for what's going on with the Holocaust. Because you're right, like the concentration camps and like even just like within Berlin, like a lot of somber places. Mm -hmm. Whereas here I'm like, are we really taking into context what we did? But I do think that the U S has, I mean, they've been, I mean, maybe not Trump, but like in general, American presidents have been, in recent history, the leaders on like nuclear non-proliferations and trying to like tamp down on all of the oh oh absolutely I think I think I think there is I think there has been a change and I don't think that the national like making them national parks is like celebrating them I think it's actually doing the same thing of preserving like this was a moment in history that shouldn't be forgotten and we should learn the lessons from it I mean like that's my I mean I'm not maybe that's not what they're thinking but that was my kind of interpretation of it is like we did this huge because this wasn't like this happened right away this happened no 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 so you know so we're not this organized to like (laughs) no 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 get get them all designated as parks (laughs) no it takes at least 25 years in the united states to do that absolutely So after numerous studies and several draft bills, Congress passed the National Defense Authorization Act of 2015, which included provisions authorizing the park to be located at three sites, Oak Ridge, Tennessee, Hanford, Washington, and Los Alamos, New Mexico. President Obama signed the National Defense Authorization Act into law on December 19th, 2014. Um, And then on November 2015, 
Secretary of the Interior Sally Jewell and Secretary of Energy Ernest Moinitz, Monitz, Ernest Moinitz, maybe, signed the uh, memorandum of agreement between the two agencies defining the respective roles in creating and managing the park. The agreement included provisions for enhanced public access, management, interpretation, and historic preservation. With the signing, the Manhattan Project National Historic Park was officially established. Look, yeah. I'm not opposed to visiting the park. Yeah, I'm interested. I I'm go. interested. Yeah. But I swear to God, if there is like a, a, a long road that's lined with oak trees, I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be mad. I know. Well, you know, maybe in I Tennessee, want you might see statues. You might see some trees in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, considering that's it's fair. Oak Ridge. But, you know, Los Alamos, New Mexico, probably safe. You're not going to see. <laughs> A lot of trees. Just a yeah. lot of desert. A lot of dirt. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, it's just, it didn't sit well with me before getting into the notes. And in a crazy turn of events, it still doesn't sit well with me. Yeah. And that's my, and that's my hot take. I mean, obviously glad that we ended the war, but I just, I feel like at that point, I think I just think, and this is easy to say because I'm not um, sort of in um, the 1940s during World War II, but I think we could have won the war without doing this. Yeah. I think I that's my problem. I agree. Is that I think, I think by this point we had enough momentum and we were, we were starting to close in. That we didn't need to do this to get Japan's surrender. I mean, it's Japan. Right. You know? And and yeah, because Germany surrendered before Japan. So Germany had already surrendered by this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like, we, we've already taken out Germany. Like, yeah, I think, sorry, Harry Truman, you don't have my support on this one, my dude. <laughs> yeah. I agree. And put that on my grave. Put that I on agree. my grave. I agree. <laughs> Friend, daughter, anti-atomic bomb supporter. <laughs> supporter. <laughs> May she rest in peace. May she rest in bliss. Yeah. But with that said, that is the end of our atomic bomb episode. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday, Lizzie. <laughs> Happy birthday, me. Yay! And thank you all. You are the greatest gift I could ever have. And as always, we love you so, so much. And if you like what you heard, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Get Civical. You can rate us. You can review us. You can subscribe to us. We love you so, so much, and we will see you next Wednesday. Goodbye.